Welcome back to the Caught Red Podcast. I'm Jesse Light. I'm Megan Light. We are just two dog lovers talking true crime, horror movies, and most likely our dogs too. We are recording this Wednesday, April 19th. Better late than never. It was my birthday this weekend, so thanks for all the birthday wishes, by the way. We decided we'd go ahead and take a little small trip to Northwest Arkansas Monday and Tuesday. So we dropped the girls off at their grandparents' house. Yep. And of course, they always have fun over there. Derby patrolled the fence and Ripley just stared down their cat probably the whole time. Yeah. And they got lots of S words. Oh, well, yeah. Your mom had to pay the cheese tax. And chips. And T words and whatever else that she's like, oh, do y'all need this? (laughs) Of course. Then we dropped off the boys at their favorite place, Hound's Hideaway in Conway. And then the cats just took care of themselves. Their cats. Yeah. Breeze ate all the food. Holy shit. I know he gained weight while we were gone. You left two feeders, right? Yes. And they were both nearly empty. Yes. And he probably ate. I told you, you should have put the ring camera like right there just to see who was eating all that food the whole time. But it had to be him. Such a fat ass. (laughs) But yeah, we went to Crystal Bridges Museum, which... That was different. We aren't really art people, but it was still pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know what qualifies as art, but I guess we're no experts. Yeah, we we were walking around and looking at the art, and we were like, I I think I could could do that. I could do that. I I couldn't do that one, but I could do that one. Uh, But we, we walked the trails and stuff and checked out everything that they had to offer pretty much. Then we went to see the Super Mario Brothers movie in theaters, which that was, was so good. So good. That was so good. It's crazy how some of the voices we we had to look up mid movie, like Toads didn't even sound like Keegan Michael Key, and then you could barely tell that Bowser was played by Jack Black. Yeah, was, until, until he started he was like singing. singing. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, oh, that's Tenacious D, right there. <laughs> but then it was obvious that Seth Rogen played. Donkey Kong. He did a good job. He was good for DK. That was a good match. Even his little annoying laugh that he throws in there. That was such a good movie. I love all the little elements of all the games and then Mario Kart and all that was, oh, damn Rainbow Road. (laughs) That always gives me problems too. It was so good. If y'all haven't seen it, go see it. Yes. Then we went to Top Golf, the highlight of the trip. Jesse's favorite thing ever. I got to see Megan swing a golf club for the first time in six years we've been together. So. Cause putt putt doesn't count. No, of course not. I'm just glad you didn't hurt yourself. So. Well, kind of. Oh, your wrist, yeah. <laughs> I am. It feels so awkward to swing a golf club. So freaking awkward. I felt like I should have been with a, a like a taller putter or like me up on a stand I don't know I just felt like my hunch over thing was weird and then my arms don't really move and of course my back is my back is fucked up so I can't really twist you thought you needed a bigger club I felt like me hunched over with the club like it was too short for me oh I thought it was too big for you that's what she said (laughs) but you hit a few straight like the one that went into the red, but you forgot to switch our name, so I got no points on that. Yeah, my bad. The well, one good hit I had. But the Angry Birds game was pretty fun. I did like that one. Yeah. 
And then I was just somehow good at that jewel game. I don't know. It's rigged. All unrelated to true crime, though, but we had a great time. We'll actually be back there next month. Yep. In Rogers. A month uh, from tomorrow. The Northwest Arkansas True Crime Fest. That'll be fun. I'm excited about that. And then that'll, so that'll be like our first true crime con type event that we're going to be going to. Or just as true crime fans like everyone else. Yeah. So maybe we'll learn a few things. That'd be cool. That'll be fun. Bring our notebooks. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our Caught Red Podcast notebooks. I'll randomly put uh, magnets on people's cars. Just drop some of our pins in people. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> well, in other news, we still have Caught Red Podcast shirts available. They're $25 each plus shipping. So if you'd like to rip the pod, just shoot us a DM and we'll get you taken care of. And thanks for everyone that has bought one already. We do plan to donate some of the profits there to a local animal shelter as well. Yes, I have a few in mind. Good. Already. Speaking of animal shelters, we went to the Best Friends Society that's in Bentonville, where my friend Natalie works for the company as a whole. And she does uh, a lot of work with the different shelters, going around, making sure a lot of animals are seen so they can be out there and be adopted. Not quite sure what her actual title is. I just know she's always at different shelters, taking pictures, getting the word out about these animals, transporting them. But yeah, I loved that we got to go there. And that cat, Chester, or Cheeto. It was Cheeto, the big orange one with the scratches. He yeah. could have come home with us. Jessie got attached to a puppy, guys. I did not. Yes, you did. I did not. She just looked very peculiar. She was cute. She was cute, though. <gasps> She looked kind of like a hyena. We can go and get her. No, it's not a problem. No, no, no. It's not a problem. <laughs> well, it is Megan's turn to tell us a story this week. So you ready to do this thing? I suppose. So we're going to kick it off with the sources. I've got National Conference of State Legislator. Griffords Law Center, the OrlandoDefense.com, Cinemaholic.com, Northwest Florida Daily News, ABC News, True Crime Daily, ClickOrlando.com, West Florida TV 9, and LawandCrime.com. Who has a neighbor that they like or dislike? We've been fortunate over these last, what, eight, nine-ish months that we've gained listeners from all over. Some of you guys live in an apartments or condos, so maybe you've met your neighbors in passing, like at the stairwells or halls, elevators, so on and so forth. Some of you live in a house, maybe you're in a subdivision, maybe you've got HOA. Some of you could be like us and live out in the country with very few neighbors, And Jesse and I have said this multiple times on here that we got really lucky to have great people next door to us. Uh, And of course, we have great people that live across the highway from us. They helped us find Breeze when he went on his rumspringer. Rumspringer! I know it is not this way everywhere, but I would like to think that everyone has at least one neighbor they kind of like, and hopefully that you're not that one that everybody hates yeah hopefully no one hates us right i mean we saved the german shepherds next door on occasion the dogs behind us 
we're good people. If you do dislike your neighbor, how far would you go to prove a point to create chaos in his or her life? Would you try to do more damage to that person if you had once been friends? Would you go as far as the man I'm going to introduce to you? Would you kill? We're going to head to Titusville, Florida, where William, a.k.a. Billy, Woodward and his family once lived in a cute little quiet suburban neighborhood, their little piece of paradise. Billy Woodward and his wife, Barbara, and their two kids once lived on Smith Drive in a nice suburban neighborhood in Titusville, Florida. Titusville is a quaint little town along the Indian River. It is just minutes from the Kennedy Space Center. By all accounts, the Woodward family was very adored by all their neighbors. On occasions, the neighborhood families would get together and they would hang out and grill and drink beer, watch sports fall. Across the street from the Woodwards lived Gary Hembry. Billy and Gary had been friends for about eight years. The Woodwards had lived in their house on the street for about 14. By the time the story that takes place in 2012, even their kids were friends, life was great. Billy had retired from the Army after serving several years for our country. He does claim that he was left with some PTSD, and I'll let you determine if that had anything to do with his case later. Trouble started to brew in the summer of 2012. Billy's daughter, Ava, was turning 12 years old in August, and it was going to be an event for the whole neighborhood. The neighborhood was excited to celebrate her birthday, but that wasn't the only excitement and gossip. Gary Hembree's girlfriend, Kim Silsbury, with her two twin daughters, had moved in with him and Gary's daughter, Destiny, and his two sons, Zach and Corey. He also let an old friend of his, Roger Pecor, and then Roger's girlfriend, Jessica, move in. Roger was going through a rough patch in life, so Gary offered to help him out. Prior to all these new residents moving in, Gary was said to have a tip-top house well taken care of. He had painted the outside. The lawn was beautiful. So it seems as though things went a little downhill after he gained all of these roommates. So it's a very packed, very busy house. Yeah, it sounds like it. Too many people in one house. Yeah. There was a big conflict that sparked the end of the friendship between Gary and Billy. Like I said... Billy's daughter, Ava, was about to have a birthday. Billy's wife, Barbara, said that one of her friends had left a gift for Ava on the front porch. Whoever left the gift must assume no one was home and then went about his or her business. And this gift goes missing. The friend ends up calling Barbara and she's like, hey, did Ava like her gift? And Barbara's like, well, we never received it. Up until this point, things were fine between the two families. What happened was Barbara assumed that the gift was stolen by Gary's daughter. She said she knew right away that it had to be someone in that house. She had seen Gary's daughter, Destiny, outside that day, and she swore she'd seen some of the kids in that house, there's, you know, four or five there, taking things from around the neighborhood. Gary was offended and angry that his so-called friends would accuse his daughter of such a thing. This argument escalated to the point that the police were called to the scene. The police took a report, but nothing was resolved, and this would just be the first out of several trips the police would make to Smith Drive. So was it the stepkids that they were accusing? No, the actual daughter of Gary, the the homeowner. Okay. So not his girlfriend's kids. Right. 
everything that is about to happen between the Woodwards and his former friends, neighbors, the Hembrys, and then the Blakes goes down in about a month's time. Now, the Blakes are Tim and Carrie and their two children. They moved in next door to Gary sometime in the spring of 2012. The Blake family would end up taking the side of Gary and his household, even though Billy had loaned them money to help pay bills, bought their kids shoes, just nice things for a neighborly thing to do. Initially, things were minor, small things. For example, Billy had called the police on Gary for parking his truck on the grass instead of the driveway. Like a straight petty move. Dang, after being friends for eight years, you're going to call the cops on him? Well, I'm sure behind closed doors, his girlfriend and his buddy were like whispering, like not to let things go. Because to me, that birthday party incident, the accusation went way too far if the cops were called. So I'm sure there's a lot behind the doors going on that we never know. Probably. Then Gary would call on Billy for something else just as dumb. The two families went back and forth. One of the first things that started to get under Billy's skin was when Gary called the police and reported that Billy was illegally raising chickens within the city limits. I said a few minutes ago that Billy had retired from the Army, so, you know, he's a veteran. One of the things he did to cope with his PTSD was raise these chickens. He considered them his therapy animals, and he had about 20 out back. Everything he did for them was immaculate. Their coop was clean and kept with great precision. The chickens did no harm to anyone, but out of spite, Gary wanted them taken away. Yeah, it probably didn't even bother Gary. It's probably just to, he something couldn't even, to piss he, him off. He probably with. couldn't even see them. Yeah, I doubt it. Are they next-door neighbors? They're across the street from one another. Okay. Neighbors outside of the, the bickering, like some innocent bystanders said that they saw a change in Billy once those chickens were removed. Right after the chicken incident, Billy, understandably furious, yelled at Gary from across the way and challenged him to a fight. As Billy stood in the middle of the street, he made sure to lift his shirt and prove he was not armed. He was ready to throw some punches. Neighbors who were not involved were, th were drawn outside to see what the commotion was. <laughs> That just reminds me of, like, the TikTok videos where you hear some commotion going on with your neighbors, so someone gets outside and, and pretends the like the, they're... Yes. yes, vacuums the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Scrubbing the floor of your porch or something. Yes. Just so you can hear what's going on. Yes, that's probably what it was. So the neighbors, like I said, they weren't involved, but they were going outside to see what was going on. And they stood behind the fact that they could see Billy wasn't armed because, you know, he lifted his shirt and they all saw it. Gary refused to meet him halfway and he tried to get Billy to go onto his property for this so-called fight. And luckily, Billy was too smart for that. Surrounding neighbors were the ones who called the police. And once they arrived, of course, Gary and his little team, like him, Roger, the girlfriends, Tim, Carrie Blake, all of them, all swore he was carrying a gun. But like I said, the neighbors were able to confirm this was false. Plus, Billy obviously wasn't armed when the police arrived, nor would he have had time to, like, put it somewhere. The police told everyone to go back inside their homes and just leave each other alone. Following this was a temporary silence. You could call it the calm before the storm. I'm not sure how long it lasted, but nothing happened for at least a couple of days. Never was civil, mind you, but no fights. 
Everyone that lived across the street from the Woodwards decided that it was time to start it all up again, turning up the heat this time. And when I say everyone, I mean it. Gary, his girlfriend Kim, Roger, his girlfriend Jessica, Tim, his wife Carrie. Every single day, these six individuals, and sometimes their children too, would just start yelling and screaming insults and profanity just to taunt the Woodwards. Neighbors said that they could see Kim and Carrie bent over like they were whispering stuff into their children's ears, and then those kids would say it out loud. And the, So much drama. I know. Ugh. The harassment was disrupting not only the Woodward's lives, but it caused chaos for the other neighbors as well. It wasn't long after all this when Billy's father, William Sr., who was actually a retired police officer, came over with Billy's mom. They, too, fell victim to the neighbors yelling and screaming. Billy's dad suggested that he get some security cameras, and he does just that. I don't know how many, but they always talked about this one particular one that was out front of the house facing the carport, and it was angled enough to capture Gary's house across the way. I wonder if they knew about those cameras. Oh, I'm sure they watched him put them up if they were all outside yelling at him the whole time. It recorded hours of the neighbors screaming the insults and curse words. As it was meant for protection, it also helped in Billy's favor. The camera would show what neighbors would tell the police during the visits that the Woodwards kept to themselves. They stayed inside a majority of the time and they never played the game, meaning they didn't try to scream or yell back. Even when they called Barbara, his Billy's wife, a bitch when she was trying to come out and take the family dog for a walk. William Sr., Billy's dad, started to come over on occasion and would kind of stand guard. If Billy needed to go run an errand and the family was home, William Sr. came over. So it hadn't gotten physical yet at No, all. not it's yet. Just... just raging insults across the yard. Yeah. If Billy needed to get yard work done or do something outside, he would call his dad. William Sr. and Billy's mother were terrified for their family. You... You would think, though, that like his dad being a retired officer from that town of Titusville, that he could reach out to the departments or courts. And I don't know if he did or tried to, but everything that he was doing, he did because Billy asked and he wanted to protect his child and his grandchildren. You think they were terrified for what Billy might end up doing to the neighbors or they were terrified of Of what what the neighbor would do? Yeah. I don't think they were ever afraid of what Billy might do and hold him back, but they were afraid of what the neighbors were going to do to them. Because even all the accounts, I never read that they were fearful of Billy himself, just the neighbors. Hmm. Okay. Eventually, these horrible people felt like their yells weren't doing the damage they wanted. Billy wasn't in a large enough uproar or angry enough to fight back yet. That's when Kim and Carrie decided to step things up. So we got Gary's girlfriend and then Tim Blake, the neighbor's wife. And I'm so disgusted at these two women who have daughters of their own. I wonder like how they feel today, knowing that all this is in the past and over and done. Do they and everyone else think back and are just like, what the hell is wrong with us? Kim and Carrie threaten Ava, Billy's daughter. Remember, she's only 12. 
The women said they would hire somebody to rape and sodomize her repeatedly. Like, are you fucking kidding me? She's fucking 12 and, and innocent in all this. They caught that on the camera? Yes. Neighbors heard it. Obviously, Ava heard it. Even though this threat was made by two grown-ass women, Ava was still being bullied by the whole lot of them. That's like, so messed up. Yeah. If the neighborhood kids were riding on the same school bus home as Ava, they would pick on her, like pull her hair, insult her in her, in her family, and then she'd get off the bus from school and then have to hear even more things said to her about her family as she's like walking to her house. They're just trashy people. Really? There were more threats made, like burning down the Woodward's house. Barbara, Billy's wife, had saw on Facebook that one of them had bought a gun and they were proudly posing with it. So they were starting to really, really step up their game. Since nothing was calming down and everything seemed to be getting worse, the Woodward's file a claim of harassment against their neighbors in hopes of keeping them away physically. But get this, as a rebuttal... Gary and Tim did the exact same thing. Without the evidence brought in from the cameras and witnesses at this point, it was all he said, he said, he said. Mm -hmm. So on August 29th, 2012, all parties went before a judge to discuss the hearings of these claims. Again, he said versus he said and so on and so forth. Billy had some of the officers who were called to some of the disturbances subpoenaed. Several neighbors came forward on his behalf as well. Unfortunately, the judge didn't let the majority of them speak. He denied each family their orders of protection, so the Woodwards, Hembrys, and the Blakes. He told all the parties just to go home and play nice. Billy was furious, as just, you can imagine. It just sounds like something that'd be on Judge Judy. <laughs> Come on. The trash? Yeah. When the whole group of them made it outside the courthouse, Billy and Gary get into it. Right on the sidewalk, Billy makes a threat, finally. He had a reason. He had caught Gary mocking him as they were walking out. So Billy went up to him and said, are you prepared to die? Billy grabbed Gary, threw him on the ground, and one source said he attempted to eye gouge him. (laughs) Shit. Rambo over here. Kim, Gary's girlfriend, used her lit cigarette to burn Billy, hoping the sensation would cause him to let go. Out of nowhere, pepper spray comes across the whole crowd and the men are finally broken up. Billy would end up being the one who gets arrested. He probably didn't even feel the cigarette. He was probably... Full of rage. Yeah. Already full of, like, fire in his body, just full of rage. Adrenaline just pumping. As you can imagine, the conflict between the Woodwards and the families across the street would only escalate following this courthouse incident. And it doesn't stay between them. Like I said a second ago, several neighbors came to testify in court. Even though none of them had a chance to speak, just showing up in support of Billy and his family made them a target for more harassment. Gary and his little gang were just out there disrupting people's lives, saying how they were going to kill Billy and his family, how they were going to kill the neighbors siding with Billy and his family, See, the rest of the street took Billy's side. The only ones that supported Gary were those living in his house and then the Blakes who lived right next door. I'm just trying to picture what these people look like. 
I'll I'll send like, you photos later. Or like, do they even work? Like, they're just sitting down know, on their porch, just nagging I was them thinking the whole that time. too because I never found a timeline of stuff. So I was like, did they just not have jobs and they're all sitting out front smoking, yeah. drinking? I don't know. Some of the neighbors who were being threatened called the police, and of course, police came out and said they couldn't do anything; that it was just freedom of speech. I'm assuming because the police didn't hear it themselves, and no one was being physically harmed is why they couldn't do anything. Just a couple of days after that fight in front of the courthouse will be the last straw. On Labor Day, which is going to be September 3rd, 2012, Billy would reach his limit. He would exit his house, decked out in camouflage gear with his 9mm Beretta strapped to his side, and he will army crawl on his stomach in order to sneak up on his neighbors. Billy was tired of his family having to live like prisoners in their own home. Gary and his household and the Blakes were throwing a Labor Day shindig and they were being just as loud and obnoxious as always. By the time Billy had left his house, it was close to midnight and those neighbors were still going strong, grilling, drinking, just partying all around. The first person to notice the stealthy approach of Billy was Roger's son, Justin, who was just visiting. He and Roger were wrestling on the front lawn when Justin spotted Billy. Did he have a silencer? No. No? No. Startled, Justin jumped back from his father and sees this dark figure. Just as he does, Billy emerges out of the darkness, lifts the gun, pulls the trigger. Later in the trial, when Billy is testifying, which is similar to his interrogation here in a second, his demeanor and like his wording changes... He starts using battle lingo and describes the actions as war strategies. It seemed as soon as he lifted his gun, his mind went right back to when he was a soldier. Yeah, so he just snapped. Well, who, who did he aim the gun at first? Roger, who is the guy living in Gary's house. Oh, okay. So Billy hits Roger first in the chest, watching him fall to the ground. Billy shifts his attention to the Blake house. He can see Tim standing in the carport. Tim sees him rush over and tries to get inside the house. Billy just lets himself inside, following Tim, and proceeds to shoot him 11 times. This is all happening in a short time frame, and the shots are loud enough to grab Gary's attention, who was inside his own house at the time. When he goes outside, Gary yelled, What the hell is happening? Billy heard him. Billy started walking back towards Gary's front lawn, reloading his pistol with 15 more rounds. Billy spots Gary on the porch, fired, hitting him in the chest. Letting his anger get the best of him, Billy walks up to Gary, who's now lying on the porch bleeding out, and begins to unload multiple shots into him. Needing to check and see if Roger was dead or not, Billy walked over to where he laid, and he was still alive. He was rolled onto his stomach as if he was trying to crawl away. His son, Justin, was by his side assisting him, and while Justin was kneeling by his father, Billy rolled Roger back to his back and shot him twice in the head. And just like that, Billy was finished. He walked back to his house very calmly, kneeled down on the lawn, interlaced his fingers behind his head, and waited for the police to arrive. So you can imagine the amount of phone calls coming from all the neighbors around during that incident and uh, one of the neighbors at one point stuck his head out and asked Billy if he was okay. And he responded with, I got them all. 
I got them all. Wow. So he fired like 20 shots, just about. And I'm so all those people were just all talk because they had time to defend themselves. Like Gary heard how many shots? He he lo- he loaded his gun again before going back over there. Yeah, I'll get to how many bullets were out in just a yeah, second. Crazy. Gary Hembry, who was thirty nine, Roger Picor, forty four, died. No surprise. But by some miracle, Tim Blake survived being shot eleven times. There were six shots in his stomach and five in his leg. The police arrested Billy, obviously without any resistance. Once he's in the interrogation room, Billy waived his Miranda rights and confessed to everything. He started to tell the detectives what had happened and why. He tells them the story from the beginning. He doesn't skip a single detail of the taunting and the abuse he and his family suffered from the neighbors. Billy tells them that they have been tormented for the last month, his family, his parents, making threats against everyone that he loved. Gary and his crew had been making their lives a living hell. He only wanted to protect his family. He goes on and explains that his time in the Gulf War caused him to have PTSD. And these old feelings of battle were just being stirred up inside of him. He admitted that he was a mentally disabled veteran who was on medication. He had been medically discharged from the Army when he suffered a head injury. And he says that he can't control his actions very well, especially with certain stressors. He must have been still in a battle mentality. Billy told detectives that he shouldn't go to jail for the shootings. On the recording for his interrogations, he's heard saying, Now the war is over. I promise you those people won't be harassing my family or me again. When Billy said he didn't need to go to jail, he said, I tried pleading and begging and I asked for help. I believe those sorry sons of bitches should have been put in jail a long time ago for all the things they did to me and my family. He then called himself a soldier and that in war you fight to win and he claimed he had won. He also did admit that the only reason he didn't go back to finish Tim off is because he ran out of bullets. And he shot 31 bullets that night. Dang. And it was all directed towards those three people? Yeah. So he left the women out of it. He's, he would say later in trial that a man of uh, war, a soldier, would never kill women and children. So it was just those three men, yes. Billy's attorney summed it up very nicely, saying that it was a month of domestic terrorism, threats to burn down the Woodward home, rape Billy's daughter, hiring people to attack the family, and then it happened on a daily basis until this night where it all just made Billy finally explode. Billy Woodward was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and one count of first-degree attempted murder, all of which he pleaded not guilty. He never brought it up when he was being interrogated, but once he was brought into the court, he demanded a special trial on claims of self-defense, more specifically to justify the shootings based on Florida's stand-your-ground law. In 2005, Florida's legislator made changes to their self-defense laws. Over half the states in our nation have their own version of the stand-your-ground law. These states include, you ready? I'm ready. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, 
Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming. In case you guys out there wondered if your state does this as well. As a brief summary of the general concept, the common principle of the Castle Doctrine says that individuals have the right to use force within reason to protect themselves against an intruder in their home. Back in the 80s, these laws were called, quote-unquote, make-my-day laws. I like that one way better. They allowed immunity from the prosecution when deadly force was used against another who unlawfully or forcibly enters a person's residence. So that doesn't really have anything to do with what he did, though. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. But yes, you are correct. Our state of Arkansas in 2021 signed into place a law that states that we don't have to retreat before using deadly force as long as the person who's being threatened hasn't been involved in a criminal activity prior. Most laws state that the individual in danger has to try and retreat safely, and if that cannot be done, then reasonable force can be taken. And it was pretty cool to read about the different states and what the residents of those states can and can't do under the Stand Your Ground law. For example, in 2011, Pennsylvania amended theirs, saying that an individual can't use deadly force outside one's home or vehicle unless he or she believes there is a reasonable belief of imminent death or injury or he or she cannot retreat safely or if the attacker displays a weapon. Idaho in 2018 expanded on there saying that not only can it be considered justifiable homicide if you're defending your home, but also if you're defending your place of employment or vehicle. No carjacking there. Hmm. Back to Florida. To properly apply the stand your ground law, the individual must have believed that deadly force was necessary to prevent imminent death or bodily harm to himself herself or another, or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. Or the individual acts in the defense of dwellings, residences, or vehicles. If the individual is charged with a violent crime and can prove either one of these, then he or she is immune from prosecution. Catch 22 with this, like you were just saying, and what the prosecution uses against Billy is that Florida's standard ground doesn't apply the justification of deadly force if you intentionally provoked the other party or if the other party attempted to withdraw from the confrontation. Meaning that they didn't do anything to Billy at that moment in time. So he had no right to go shoot them. And they never really did anything to threaten his life. Besides using words. Yeah. And... They never really did it on his property, Correct. doesn't sound like. No. They never really kind of crossed that line. It was all mean words. I mean. And threats. But still, at what point. Do you, yeah, exactly. Do you, are you going to pack up and leave, move to a different address, and then they win. They've won. True. They've pushed you out completely. Very True. 
Like I was just saying, unfortunately for Billy, he was not in immediate danger when he decided to sneak up on his neighbors. Billy would testify that he was listening to the party as it was going on, and besides hearing the normal insults and badgering, he heard someone say they had a gun. He said he saw someone light something on fire, and he feared that they were preparing a Molotov cocktail to throw on his property. But later they find out that it was just a piece of a palm tree. Billy swore he heard the men conspiring to come over and get him. He just knew that he heard the pop, pop, pop sounds of a 22 caliber gun being fired. So was that all in his head? Maybe. I don't know. The prosecution would agree Billy was bullied, but the actions he took on Labor Day of 2012 did not justify him using deadly force. The prosecution did see weeks worth of recorded footage of the neighbors bullying, taunting, and threatening the Woodwards, but that Billy shot those men out of anger and not fear. Billy Woodward would end up being convicted. He was found guilty of second-degree murder of Gary and Roger, so instead of first, and then he was convicted of attempted murder of Tim Blake. He was given two life sentences for the murders running concurrently. He received 25 years for the attempted murder. Following the trial, the judge allowed impact statements. Gary's mother, who had pleaded for life without parole, talked about how her son was the peacemaker of the family. Billy's mother called her son a man of integrity, great character, and compassion. Tim Blake spoke in front of the court. He said, I've handled what happened to me. Now you have to handle what happens to you. You made a permanent decision on a temporary motion, and now you have to pay for it for the rest of your life. Now that it is all done, I'm going fishing. When Barbara, Billy's wife, took the stand, she told the courts that she and Billy had decided to move before the shooting happened. She said it felt like it would never stop that they had to get away from it completely. Up until that point in time, she said that they were going to be in their house forever, but they realized they would never be safe there. The Woodwards had actually put an offer in on another house, and it was accepted. Billy and Barbara were to sign the papers the day after the shooting. Come on. Just sign the papers and leave then. Billy, who is probably about 61 years old now, is currently serving his time at Graceville Correctional Facility in Jackson County, Florida. And that's the story of Billy Woodward, the neighborhood vigilante. Yeah, maybe he actually did hear like gunshots go off or something they that knew sounded they, like it. They knew they snapped. had a gun based on photos from Facebook. Yeah. You can go on YouTube and watch parts of the trial, and it's really heartbreaking to hear Barbara speak. When she's on the stand, she talks about and she explains the daily threats made to her and her family. She tells the court and everybody in there that she goes on, that she went on antidepressants. Their son, who was only four at the time, started stuttering and wetting the bed from all the stress. And the prosecution kept saying, why didn't you call the police? And Billy would just be like, we tried. No one wanted to help us. So why would we rely on them? Yeah, unless he just wanted to go over there and beat the shit out of them. Well, he kept his composure for almost that whole month. And then he finally had enough and just snapped. Yeah. Crazy. If he would have just waited one more day, they right. would have been he out had, of there. That's what killed me when I was reading about it. I was like, one day. One day, they had to go one more day 
hours because he did it at midnight. Eight hours. He'd go like eight hours, whatever it was, to the appointment to sign the papers to get a new home, pack their shit, and get out. And uh, Barbara should have tied him up and just right. Well, held him you in know, the her house. and the kids were asleep when everything happens. Oh. And I was reading on one of the articles how Billy and the family had gone to dinner. And they came home, and of course, they were all out front doing their party and doing their thing, yelling at them and all that kind of stuff. And he said he almost just turned the car around and went to stay at his parents. But he's like, no, no, this is our home. This is our house. So these states that don't have the stand your ground law, what happens if somebody breaks into your house? And you kill them? No. What happens if somebody oh. breaks into your house and well, they try to rob you? You're just supposed to, to let, let them? them? Who knows? You're just supposed to let them, like, kill you Well, or steal all your shit. I mean, if you think about it. Or rape your wife or something like that. You're not allowed to do anything or you're going to jail. I How guess because then it's like the robbers, if you were to hit them or hurt them while they're robbing you, could say that they were forcibly attacking you and then the robbers are the ones that get off. Yeah. And the person who's protecting his home and his family goes to jail for, you know, battery or something. Right. You should be able to protect what's yours. Yeah, you would think it'd be in every state. But then you've had those two things that happened recently. Did you see those? Which ones? Uh, this woman was driving down a road, like a dirt road to somebody's house. They had the wrong address and they ended up oh, getting shot. Yes. Dead. And, and she then the was with black... somebody, so they drove away yeah so that was the girl and her boyfriend pulled to the wrong house and she was shot and killed and then the little black boy was mm -hmm. going to pick up his siblings and he was shot but thank god he's he, he survived he survived yes okay. he's in he recovery went, he went to the wrong address too though right yes but it's like what prompted those people to think they were being like right don't just uh, go shooting people out on a limb like that. Like, but. were they drunk? Were they high? Were they old and paranoid? PTSD? Like, this guy? Like, what was it? Because I highly doubt, because I've seen pictures of both of these individuals. You're not going to look at them and go, oh, I feel threatened. They're yeah. they're young. Like, the, I can't think of the, the young black kid's name, but, I mean, he's young, and he's respectful. And then the girl is a cute little thing. Like, what? What? Yeah. Yeah, that's why. There was also another shooting that happened. I don't know if you heard about it in Texas, about the cheerleaders. Uh-uh. Well, I follow this uh, Instagram account, Karma Returns. They sponsor, like, cheerleaders and tumblers and stuff like that, so I follow their account. And they were, like, doing a support and a GoFundMe and all this stuff for these three girls who were in a parking lot, and I can't remember what the city in Texas is, but they were getting into the wrong car, and they got shot in the parking lot right there. Well, all, all those cases are just the wrong people are allowed to have guns or get their hands on guns somehow. Yeah. Because I agree with the stand your, stand your ground law. Like, mm -hmm. You should be able to protect your yours? house. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like a good civilian. Right. But not a dumbass that just shoots people not knowing who the heck they are. Yeah. I don't know. Crazy. The world is full of crazy people. Got that right. Well, that wraps up our episode. Good job, Megan. Thank you. We will be back Tuesday, like normal. Thank y'all for listening. If you want, you can... 
Go check us out on Instagram at Caught Red Podcast, P-A-W-D, or on Facebook. Like and subscribe. Leave us reviews wherever you listen to our podcast. And until next time, stay local, shop local, murder local.